Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring, fascinating women who are navigating aging with class and sass. I'm your host, Nicole Christina. Hey everyone, I am so grateful for all of the downloads, and I'd love a rating on iTunes and a comment. And please subscribe. It helps the show's rating so other people can find it and learn how to age well. And if you are loving the podcast, why not check out the companion online course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. You can access it through my website, NicoleChristina.com forward slash Zestful Aging. It's based on the Harvard Study of Adult Development, and I'm really proud of how it's turned out. Well, I've got my coffee in my hand and my trusty dog Sparky beside me, so let's begin. Today we have Christina Matz-Costa, PhD, and she's an associate professor at Boston College School of Social Work. She's also on the faculty of the Center of Aging and Work, and her research focuses on aging and work and productive aging. Um, And she was involved in developing one of the American Academy of Social Work and Social Welfare's grand challenges for the next decade, focused on maximizing productive and meaningful activity throughout life. And she's an expert on what keeps us well as we age. Welcome, Christina. Thanks for having me, Nicole. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is such an important topic. And um, and let's start with what it means to age in a way that is engaged, although that's the hashtag right now, engaged <laughs> at any age, right? Right, a- right. Engaged and productive aging. Can you, can you tell us a little bit what that might look like? Sure, I would love to. I, I mean, the, the term productive aging is a little bit of an academic term, uh, but what it essentially means is we've tended over historically to have a very negative view of aging. Uh, and associate aging with decline and uh, all these negative kind of connotations. And the idea behind productive aging is to uh, really focus on the strengths of an aging population. And uh, it's really a strengths-based produ- uh, approach, a social development approach. You know, How can we change our institutions, our ways of thinking uh, to uh, support people as they age, particularly as we're seeing extended life courses. Uh, so the, way we, the ways that we work, engage in leisure, engage in education, don't really match the extended life course that we're seeing now, where people, uh, if they were to retire at age 65, could be seeing 20, 30, 40 more years ahead of them of healthy living. Um, and how does that change how we think about retirement, how we think about um, different institutions that we engage in over the course of our lives? So, right? Uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, could you give some specific examples about how our culture perhaps isn't matched well with the new demographic? Right. 
So we think about uh, the typical uh, lifespan and that usually we have education, um, so our soul activity throughout uh, our youth and, and the first um, between age 20 and 30 is usually focused on education, right? Um, and then there's a period of primarily work for, for a lot of people and then retirement, which is primarily characterized by leisure. And does that really make sense anymore for uh, when our expected uh, lifespan is longer than it has been in um, prior centuries? And uh, are, are there alternative ways of thinking about um, how we might structure our life course? It's more in line with uh, having these extended um, years in later life. So do you have some sense about what would be alternative ways to think about uh, our life cycle or our, or our lifespan? Is that part of what you do? Like give some thought to, well, it could look, it looks like this now. That doesn't fit anymore. But what about this or what about that? Right, right. Uh, <clears throat> so basically with the idea of productive aging really focuses on um, it comes out of the economic tradition, and so that's why it uses the word productive, uh, because it tends to focus on um, ways in which older adults could engage in activities like paid work, volunteerism, caregiving, um, and other activities that contribute to society more broadly. But I like to think of it more as engaged aging. So how can we think about expanding opportunities for individuals as they age so that they uh, can continue to engage in work if they would like to or need to, so that they can have increased opportunities for volunteerism um, as they age if that's the route that they want to um, engage in. Um, they have support for caregiving activities that they might need to um, engage in as they age. Um, and so I think it's thinking broadly about how our society can support this people in this third age. Um, how can we make sure within the employment realm that employers are supporting older adults as they age in the workplace, whether that be through health and wellness programs, um, working on uh, ageist beliefs within the workplace, um, uh, dealing with multi-generational um, workforce issues to uh, so that employers better um, manage the age dynamics that's going on within the workplace, right? What would that look like? Say, I, that's a really interesting thought to have, you know, people right out of college and then people supposedly in retirement age, although right. that sounds like it's shifted. What are the kinds of problems that might come up in a workplace where people might have a 40, 50 year difference in, in age? Right. So we're seeing a, an era where we have more generations in the workplace than we've ever seen before. So it's uh, certainly there's five generations currently in the workplace. And so we're seeing more. Um, a range of ages than we've ever seen before. And it brings up some issues, um, ways in which 
different generations uh, have different beliefs or values and they might conflict. Um, stereotypes around people of different ages come into play. Um, issues of relative age. So one of the things that, um, uh, uh, an issue that a student and I worked on was looking at this idea of relative age. So if you're if your supervisor is older than you or younger than you, does that make a difference in terms of your relationship with them and how it affects your work? Mm. Um, your age in relation to your team. So if you're the um, oldest person in a, in a team where that is uh, for the most part younger, how does that uh, impact your engagement levels or how you think about um, the age dynamics within your team? or vice versa. So if you're the youngest person on a team that's major, that where people are um, tend to be older than you. So there's all kinds of ways that you can look at age dynamics within the workplace um, and what one of the things that the Center on Aging and Work has done is uh, wrote a paper called The Prism of Age, where we kind of want to break this um, kind of break down the different frames or prisms in which you can view age within the workplace. Uh -huh. So uh, it, it's not always that, uh, you know, a, a, younger, a, a younger person could be um, mid-career, for example, if they've been in, in an organization for a long period of time. So uh -huh. organizational age versus chronological age um, is one of the different lenses that you can use to look at age within the workplace. So, uh, uh, is there a place, um, for example, in the workplace that does this particularly well that you know of, either here in the states or abroad? Uh, yeah. So the the Center on Aging and Work in the past has worked with um, multiple employers on some of these issues and helping them to think about their aging workforce and how best to approach it. Um, and GSK, for example, is uh, GlaxoSmithKline is a pharmaceutical company that has done a lot of work thinking about um, how to approach some of these issues in an innovative way. Um, CVS has done a lot of work um, thinking about their older workers and kind of the quality of employment um, for older workers. So those are just some examples of uh, employers that are really grappling with these issues. And they're, um, they might be considered um, early adopters or uh, <clears throat> people who are uh, employers that are thinking innovatively about some of these issues. Do you go and um, sort of consult with them about this? Or how do they, how have they come upon these issues and said, well, we better start thinking about this sooner rather than later. Yeah. Well, when the, the center first uh, was founded in 2005, this idea of aging and work was really new. Uh, employers in general weren't really thinking about uh, this. It was kind of seen as an oxymoron. <laughs> ah. um, but then over time, it's become much more um, accepted that we have to think be thinking about an, an aging workforce because we have an aging population 
um, and how we're going to manage um, these issues within our organization, or even assess the extent to which um, we've got employees of different ages who might be considering retiring or not considering retiring or what kinds of supports um, or structures would be helpful um, to an aging workforce, right? And so I think that it's been a little bit of a combination of, um, you know, as, as kind of awareness has increased, several uh, employers have been interested in partnering um, or doing some research projects with the center, knowing, realizing that this is an issue that they want to think about. Um, and, and then there were, there was a, a few others that had kind of, um, you know, been thinking about this prior to um, the center being established. So I think it's been a little bit of a combination and, and we haven't provided co uh, consultation per se, but done research projects. Um, and provided benchmarking tools and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. it, it sounds like such a relevant uh, focus for you in terms of your own work. I mean, how, how much more relevant can you be that this is mm -hmm. happening and you are uh, in the forefront and studying all of these, these complicated issues? Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. And, you know, over time, um, we've kind of broadened our understanding or our definition of work uh, beyond the paid employment realm. And so, like I mentioned before, we're thinking also about other forms of work that people do that are, tend to be undervalued or not recognized. So there's a good portion of the older adult population who engages in uh, volunteerism, and this is not necessarily um, acknowledged or maybe undervalued. And then there's a, a, a big portion of the aging population that has significant caregiving responsibilities. And I think that um, it's really important that we think about not only supporting people as they age within the workplace, uh, but people who are engaging in volunteering and caregiving. Um, uh, roles, but also those who are looking to become employed and are having difficulty. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, there's so many parts of this. Right. This whole right. this whole thing about the demographic changing so significantly. There's I can I can imagine that there's just hundreds of ripple effects of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And so we know that, uh, you know, supporting engagement um, broadly, whether that be um, engaging in work or volunteering or caregiving or um, engaging in other activities, social activities, um, health related um, activities, exercising and things like that are really important as we age. And so um, I think that if we can change our institutions and support opportunities, increased opportunities for people as they age, um, I think it can have multiple uh, ripple effects in terms of um, healthy aging and how people stay healthy and well as they age. Right, and I know that you're working on a big grant to look at the elements that really make uh, a difference in how people age in terms of their health and wellness. Um, that's a separate project, is that correct? 
Yeah. Although it's it related. It's related. Yeah, it yeah. builds on some of these ideas. Um, so, yes, I, I, I was working with um, the Boston Roybal Center for Active Lifestyle Interventions. And uh, we know that uh, engaged aging or active aging is really important as we age to stay active. Um, and to uh, particularly uh, physically active. So uh, getting out there and moving your body and um, walking and, and, and not being sedentary is really important, right? Mm -hmm. And so we know, also know that tra traditional exercise programs don't necessarily work in terms of keeping people active. And so the idea um, was rooted, the idea for this program that we developed uh, called Engaged for Life uh, was really that we could draw on these ideas behind engaged aging, um, it, what we call the social model of health promotion, um, to br bring people through a process where they can kind of explore the types of activities that they're currently engaged in and evaluate the extent to which they provide opportunities for physical activity, cognitive sti stimulation, um, social interaction, and the extent to which they're personally meaningful for them. And then work together as a group within this workshop um, and with a peer who is uh, working with you in small groups to brainstorm ways in which you can increase um, that level of engagement on those four different in those four different areas. So, how could I enhance or supplement my current activity portfolios in ways that um, are more health promoting? So, so, how can yeah? Can I back up for just a minute because that sounds very interesting, and I want to talk more about it. But you said something that you know is just right in my wheelhouse here. Mm. But I want to hear more about it and the idea that traditional programs don't necessarily work that well can you can you talk a little bit about why yeah well I mean we know across the lifespan that uh, activities that promote uh, interventions that promote um, an exercise program or walking just sh tend to show immediate effects. So you'll see an increase in walking behavior, you'll see an increase in uh, participation in that particular exercise program, but they're usually uh, not found to have long-term sustained effects where participants over years maintain that same level of exercise or maintain that same level of walking. Um, and so that's, this has always been a problem um, from the perspective of health promotion scientists that uh, it's really hard to have sustained health behavior change over time. And so how can we develop interventions that are sustainable over time? And so the thought uh, behind this uh, pilot was that if we can help older adults um, explore different activities that would naturally bring physical activity in their lives just by getting them out of the house, um, making them um, uh, naturally engage in more walking activity, for example, um, and emphasizing this meaning piece. What's meaningful for you? What, what are the types of activities that you really enjoy doing and that you could um, 
incorporate into your life uh, for the over the long term, um, then that could be more sustainable. So it's not, you know, it reminds me of sort of the idea, uh, the difference of like dieting versus I, you know, I want my body to be fed well, so I'm going to choose this thing. It's like, it, it's more internally motivated yes. with that. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> more internally motivated and also more, more of a feasible lifestyle change, okay. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's about, you know, moving your body and getting out there and being cognitively active, socially active. Um, and as a byproduct of that, you'll be physically active as well. I see. So you're trying to do it in a way that feels, I think, easier and mm-hmm. more natural, as you said, and isn't so much of a oh, I have to do this before I have fun or do something I really like. I have to check this off. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Yeah, integrating it naturally into, into lives. Because, for example, Experience Core is this program that has been developed, and it's a national program and it's available in lots of cities, where uh, older adults are matched to schools and they are providing a literacy, it's a literacy program for um, school-aged children. And the, the idea behind it was that it would get older adults more physically active, cognitively stimulated, socially interacting, and would be a meaningful activity. And it's been really successful in um, having long-term health effects, being sustainable over the long-term, um, leading to other involvements in the community. So part of what I was doing was expanding that notion um, a little bit because it's not always possible. Um, volunteering isn't always accessible or um, important to everybody. And so how can we create a program that's broader than that, that allows people to explore activities that they're interested in and that it's meaningful for them, um, regardless of what they are? It could be volunteering. It could be starting a new job, but it also could be um, uh, starting a walking group with a neighbor, um, getting together for a social, um, you know, starting a book club. You know, there's lots of different activities that um, folks in this program could take on that would be meaningful to them, important to them, something that they would like to continue over the long term, but it would also... uh, have that byproduct of making them more physically active um, and more more engaged in their um, in their lives. And not to be overly simplistic, but make them happier probably and enrich their life in general. Exactly. I, I think about you know uh, the example you just gave about uh, seniors going into schools, and it does all those things, and it also helps them feel not invisible, which is. I'm guessing pretty important. Absolutely. And and I don't love the term productive aging because it implies that older adults must be productive. But that's the idea is that older adults historically have been disincentivized from being engaged in um, a lot of a broad array of activities in later life because retirement and le- and leisure have been um, 
so, you know, those ideas have been so prominent. And so creating pathways and opportunities to make adults more visible within communities and not feel invisible is really a big component of this. Mm-hmm. Sort of stand up and be counted kind of, kind of idea. Hello, Zestful Agers. A short intermission to thank you for the incredible amount of downloads. I love creating this podcast, and it's so satisfying to know that you are enjoying it too. Creating and hosting Zestful Aging has been a blast, but it does require a lot of time and resources to deliver a high-quality interview to you every week. So I've signed up with Patreon, which is kind of like Kickstarter, but for ongoing artistic projects. Unlike Kickstarter, the donations are recurrent and the amount is usually smaller. When you become a patron of Zestful Aging, you will receive special benefits like behind the scenes info, a place to communicate with other listeners as well as other patron-only bonuses. These funds will be used to make equipment upgrades, particularly for mobile interviewing, and to travel to interview guests like to New York City to interview participants in the Diversity Fashion Show. I also need to hire a professional editor. So please go to patreon.com forward slash zestful aging and make a small but vital donation. Thank you for contributing to the ongoing success of zestful aging. And I can't wait to bring you more juicy, inspiring interviews. Now back to the show. I'm right. curious um, because I've had clients who are looking at, you know, they're looking at retirement age. I see a lot of teachers in my practice and they, you know, they are up for retirement on the early side and just really lost as to what the next step is going to be. And I also get uh, challenged by helping them figure out kind of what helps you be engaged, what brings meaning to your life. And I'm curious if there are any particular questions or any techniques when people are talking to these groups of seniors and trying to figure out a way to have them more engaged. You know, they haven't perhaps been thinking about this. Do you have any idea about what would be good prompts or where do you start when things have been maybe a bit, uh, what should we say, not a bit dull for a while or you're in a bit of a in a stuck place my old life is behind me yet my new life isn't quite here yet how do I know where to begin I this is a great question um and something I've thought a lot about so you know our employers tend to do a pretty good job of providing programs and workshops around the financial aspects of retirement right but not so much on kind of supporting people as they think about the psychosocial aspects of retirement planning. And so this is something that you could do, you know, across the life course or even, you know, midlife 
forward, kind of start thinking about um, what your needs and wants and desires are during the retirement phase. Um, and there are, you know, lots of workshops and programs that exist um, that kind of bring people through a process of discovery um, as they're navigating or getting ready for this um, retirement transition. But one of some of the tips that uh, I usually uh, provide and, and is part of this um, Engaged for Life program is um, asking people to think about the types of things that engaged them over the course of their life. So think back, you know, even earlier, much earlier in life to your youth, you know, uh, at any point, what kind of were, were activities or roles or, you know, topics that really engaged you, that really excited you, um, you couldn't wait to, uh, to engage in them or do them and uh, kind of make a list um, of those activities. Like even as a child, am I right? Right. Okay, yeah, I've talked a little bit, and that seems to be helpful. People will say, I used to love to draw, but that was 50 years ago. Exactly. But it's a clue, right? We're kind of trying to gather <laughs> clues here. Right, exactly. And it might, you know, some people think, oh, well, I used to do this, but I can't do it anymore. You know, for example, I love running. Um, and it was a big part of my youth. Um, and, you know, because of a sciatica problem that I have, I'm really not able to do that right now. But it really just lights me up. I love watching uh, road races. I love, you know, being involved in that sport. And so there are certainly lots of ways that you could bring that back into your life even if you're not the one running <laughs> right mm -hmm. you could be a coach you could volunteer at road races you could um uh, you know get involved in some kind of organization that has to do with running right so there's i think that going through that exercise of what really lights me up what do i really enjoy doing and are there opportunities for me to re-engage in that Mm -hmm. Like who, who are you? There's when I think about what I used to do as a as a child, there's no, you know, there's no mystery as to why I love to knit. I love my dogs. I love tennis. You know, it's like, who's surprised? That's what I was doing when I was a little one, you know, and so the idea of really getting to know who you are at your core um, and, and asking these questions of, you know, well, when you were playing, would you be a, a kid who liked to be inside drawing or outside yeah. back in the day, you know, playing hopscotch or, you know, whatever? Absolutely. And I think that sometimes the word passion is difficult. Um, you know, if you ask, what are, what are some of your passions or what is your passion? That's kind of a that's a big one. It's a big one. Oh, yeah. And people get a little paralyzed when you ask that. And so I think maybe not using the word passion or framing it so that passion could mean that you could have multiple passions and it doesn't have to be your one and only passion, but there may be multiple things that you really love, you really enjoy, or you really feel um, are important, important, important piece of your identity or you're really... Uh, a strong advocate for, you know, uh, so 
uh, it might be an issue that you're really passionate about, right? Do they use, yeah, do, when, when people are bringing these groups of seniors together, as you've described, to help them be more engaged, do they use a particular uh, tool, interview tool, or any kind of structure to say, you know, were you more artistic or more rational? I mean, do they try to get to this in a way that is like a, a structured form, or is it more of an open conversation? Uh, it varies. So there are uh, uh, these programs that it, usually you need to pay to be a part of them, these workshops and um, uh, different programs that, that might exist. And they will take different approaches to helping you kind of reflect on your past experiences or um, and, and it's not really standard how they how they go about it. Although there's several books out there. Um, that walk you through a process um, that helps you kind of reflect on on these different um, pieces of your identity and help you to get closer to figuring out what you might want to do next. Any in particular that you like? Um, Yes, there's the Encore Handbook by uh, Marcy Abelor. And it's a it's a great uh, book. It kind of walks you through um, kind of a, a process for going about um, identifying your encore, which is usually associated with a social purpose kind of um, next step in one's life um, somewhere uh, after mid career. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really useful, particularly if you're thinking about um, social purpose types types of work mm-hmm. um, paid or not paid um, in terms of resources that are more broad than that so if you're thinking about not thinking about social purpose types of, uh, of work um, <clears throat> there blue zones is a great book ah uh, yes it is yeah and so this is by Dan Bootner and it really um, highlights uh, several societies that have a high proportion of centenarians or people who live to be 100. And it highlights kind of some of the features of these societies that um, may contribute to why why they have such a um, successful aging population. And so it's kind of lifestyle. It, sometimes it's dietary. Sometimes it's social. Um, and it's a really interesting read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's become kind of a modern classic, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. I'm, I'm curious what it's like for you uh, doing all of this work, really being immersed in this topic and and how you live your life. Are you assessing also, you know, I need to get some, <laughs> have been short on the uh, social connections this week, been right. doing too much with my computer, or how how is it for you knowing what you know? and then trying to live your life? That's a really interesting question. And, you know, it, it's almost, it's difficult to practice what you preach. <laughs> uh, when, before I studied aging, I studied work-family issues. And I think this is the case in that arena also. You know, when we talk about kind of these um, 
these choices and, you know, uh, when it, it, whether it's balancing work and family or it's um, really create being intentional, intentional about creating a full and active health promoting life. Um, I think this, it's really important, but there's a lot of, a lot of times the practical um, everyday life kind of gets in the way and it's difficult to um, continue to be attentive to either work-life balance or to um, being sure we're living engaged and full and active and health-promoting lives. And so I try to, um, and I'm not always successful, and I go through phases um, <laughs> where I'm, I'm more attentive to these issues and phases where I'm less attentive and really, um, you know, not not living up to these standards the way I would like to. It's funny, I did a, um, a presentation yesterday to a health insurance company on mindful eating, and I was talking about how important it is not to be doing, you know, you on your devices as you're eating, like all these different reasons why you should be present. And I thought to myself, when's the last time I had a meal without working, you know, and I felt like such a hypocrite. And I, I told them, I said, listen, don't, don't, you know, do what I say, not what I do. But it is hard with, you know, all what we're trying, you know, we're trying to be productive, we're trying to get work done and do 10 things at the same time. And it's really a challenge, I find, to practice what you preach. Absolutely. I mean, it, it really is a challenge. And that's partly why uh, I, I think, you know, these, from a research perspective, you know, when I say these health promotion programs are, are not effective, you know, it's because life happens. And, you know, we're, it's very easy to kind of get off track with goals that you've set for yourself. So yeah, it's, it's a, hum a, a humbling, much easier said right? than done. That's right. It's a it's a, it's a humbling, uh, and also being an adult is just so hard. I think you know. I saw a funny thing um, that said something like, "Being an adult is like trying to fold one of those fitted sheets." You know. Um, yeah. and, and my reply was, "With your dog sitting on it." So, <laughs> I love that. Is there anything? <clears throat> else you'd like to share with our listeners in terms of you know the take home like you know it's hard to do everything you know eat eat a rainbow be with your people uh you know walk and you know all this stuff we know that but is there is there any like pearl of wisdom you'd like to leave leave us with i don't know if it's a pearl of wisdom but uh i think that one thing that I really was um, trying to focus on when I developed this uh, program, Engage for Life, was that if we can lead with activities that are important and meaningful to us mm. um, by continuing to be mindful of our values and what's important to us, um, I think that that can really help. So whether that's um, you know, having a note up on your mirror <laughs> um, at home or at the office um, to remind yourself of some of your core values or what you're trying to 
accomplish um, at whatever stage in life that you're at. Um, I think that can help us just to be um, continue to be mindful about these these various things um, and why they're why they should be important to us um, as we go about our daily lives because it really is difficult um, on a day to day basis to practice some of these things that we know will promote our wellness and we know will be good for us in the long term because we tend to be short term focused <laughs> and yeah. uh, putting out and the fires instant right? gratification so right. I, you know it sounds like it's really helpful to make this individualized, not like exercise is good for me. I should right. go to the gym, um, but individualized and also really connecting it with who you are intrinsically and what makes you, you know, you. Absolutely. Okay. Thinking about what my values are, who I am, who I want to be, you know, um, I think is a really important exercise to, to have that frame as you make choices throughout your day. My clients know when they talk about going to exercise boot camp, they're going to get a challenge because what I say is, uh, you know, it's hard enough. Do you really need a boot camp? How about something like a nice gentle yoga that feels good, you know, that makes you happy, that makes you relaxed? I don't know that, you know, you need to be punished. Right. Um, <laughs> so that, you know, that sustainability is, is an important point that you make. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to, um, you know, make choices that it, it, for activities, if you're um, thinking about it that way, that are sustainable over the long term. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't beat up your body. But yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. um, or, you know, um, <clears throat> you could do take a, a more tiered approach or a slower approach to getting into something new um, just to test out the waters and see what you like. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a great, I think that's great advice. Christina, are there any websites that you particularly like that might be helpful to our listeners um, in terms of learning more about this, this whole subject? Uh, yes. So I, I, I highly recommend Encore.org. Okay. Um, which is a national movement um, that's uh, kind of exploring these issues around social purpose in, in later life and trying to reimagine what mid and later life could look like. And, and that's not affiliated with the handbook, uh, or is it? It is. Oh, it is, oh, it actually. Is. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, but the Encore.org has a lot of other resources, um, and I highly recommend checking it out. Um, and also there, sometimes there's more local, um, versions, uh, like in Boston, for example, we've got the Encore Boston network, um, which is a more local, um, version of, um, some of the same kind of issues that are, um, discussed on the Encore.org website, um, and with it, within that movement. Um, <clears throat> and the other I, I, I recommended the blue zones book um but their the blue zones website and um mailing list is really helpful for you, you can get um email updates uh with lots of tips for healthy living and healthy aging and um it's really great as well 
So it's bluezones.com. I believe so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you search blue zones, you'll find it. Okay. Great. And where can people learn more about your work? Um, so you could go to the Boston College School of Social Work's website, um, but more specifically the Center on Aging and Works website. Okay. Okay. All right. And I also have uh, a BC Talks Aging um, video that okay. discusses some of these issues that um, might be useful as well. Great. Yep. I did, I did look at it, that, and I think that would be helpful. That's wonderful. Well, I really appreciate you talking to us about this you know, massively important subject and giving also some really practical guidelines of how you even do this, you know, how you wake up and start trying something new. Yeah, and I, I love the idea of discovery. Oh, well, uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, actually, the, the, another thing that um, might be happening soon is um, these discovery centers. So you, you mentioned the word discovery, but um, there, there may be some programming um, in the, the near future, um, in Massachusetts at least, that focuses on this idea of discovery um, in later life. So... Oh wow! Mm -hmm. I need to I need to make sure I'm looking for that. Yeah, so I can I can follow up um, offline about the, uh, those resources as well. That sounds great. Thank you so much for talking to us today. It was really interesting. Thanks, Nicole, for all that you do, and thanks for having me. Bye bye. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. I love to hear from my listeners, so send me an email at NicoleChristina.com and tell me what you'd like to hear more about. I would also greatly appreciate if you could hop on iTunes and rate the show. Ratings help other people find the podcast so I can share all these good juicy interviews with others. I would also invite you to become a patron of the Zestful Aging Podcast. Hop on over to patreon.com forward slash Zestful Aging and consider making a small donation. You will be eligible for insider-only goodies and behind-the-scenes information, and it'll help you feel good knowing that you're contributing to the Zestful Aging Podcast. I'll look forward to sharing more juicy interviews next week on Zestful Aging.